and welcome to Myth Monsters. My name is Erin and I'll be your host for these little snack bite-sized podcasts on folklore and mythical monsters from around the world. These podcasts focus on the actual cryptids, folklore and mythic monsters from global mythology, rather than focusing on the full stories of heroes and their big adventures. I'll also be dropping in some references that they have to recent culture and where you can see these represented in modern day content so that you can learn more and get as obsessed as I am about these absolute legends of the mythological world. Summer has finally come to an end, and thank goodness, I am truly ready for pumpkin spice latte and Halloween season. And if I'm honest, I've missed cooking, honestly. And it gets too hot in my house to cook when it's hot, so I hope you're as ready for the crisp autumn weather as I am. But this week, we are staying over here in chilly Britain, specifically in England, but it can also be found in the rest of Europe too. But this one is fiercely remembered within medieval folklore. Yes, we are looking at the cockatrice this week. What is a cockatrice, I hear you say? Well, it is considered a heraldric monster, but is mostly described as a two-legged dragon or serpent-like monster with a rooster's head. They would have massive talons with draconic tails and wings, but the full head of a chicken, wattle and comb included. They would be coloured in a dark brown hue around their face where they would have feathers, but their scaly draconic bodies would either be grey or light brown in colour. They were typically around three to six foot tall, so couldn't really be confused for a chicken or a dragon. However, they were extremely territorial and aggressive. These monsters would live in caves and have their own lairs within them, where they would live and breed with other cockatrice, as they would usually live in flocks, much like actual chickens. Female cockatrice were extremely rare, but there was enough of a population for them to have bred throughout their time in folklore. Their powers, though, are some of the most interesting things about them. They had the power to petrify any creature bitten or looked at by them, turning them to stone. And you may be thinking, hmm, this sounds very much like the basilisk. And you are right, and we'll get on to their history together later on. They were not able to petrify others of their race, but other creatures could petrify them, such as basilisks. But when they were attacked, you would have the whole flock on you making them very frightening opponents, and a lot of them as well. As well as this, they had massive claws that they could rip flesh with, which I imagine wasn't particularly pleasant either. The only animal that was immune completely to both cockatrice and basilisk petrification was the weasel, and it was believed that a cockatrice would die instantly if they heard a rooster crow, or looked upon itself in a reflected surface, as it would see its own reflection and petrify itself. Now, I kind of talked about their reproduction, but the way that they are born is something to add to their tale. It's believed that a cockatrice would only be born if a cockerel had an egg, and now bear in mind cockerels are male chickens. So if you did find a cockatrice egg, it was advised that you throw it over the top of the family home, allowing it to land on the other side of the house without hitting it. Lastly though, they were meat eaters and would generally eat rodents and smaller mammals to sate their appetite, 
but they could eat bigger animals, including humans, if they were out hunting in a flock. Now, for etymology, the word cockatrice comes from the old French cockatrice, meaning tracker. However, this word came from the Latin calcatrix, which is a translation of the Greek word ichnemion, which makes this so much more interesting when we get the Greeks involved. Also interesting in this is the locale of where this monster is considered from with this etymology, as it is considered an English monster, and one that is specifically from English heraldry, or coat of arms or shield iconography. However, there were reports of this monster throughout France, Germany, Spain and Switzerland as well, as well as the rest of Europe, although nowhere near as many as in England. For history though, we know that the bird is English because the first ever mention of it was within the English translation of the Bible, if you can believe it. This was in the Book of Isaiah, and was the word used for the translation of asp and adder, which are two venomous snakes that you can find here in the UK. This was written up in the 14th century, which was around the 1300s and during the Middle Ages of Europe and England, but this was also considered a heraldic time, where beasts such as dragons, worms, pixies, fairies and the cockatrice came into our folklore in droves, and were represented within a lot of medieval architecture, and as I said, in coat of arms and shields. In this form, cockatrice were considered valiant defenders, as they were petrifying to look at, but were not particularly common within this, certainly not as much as something like lions, dragons, unicorns and horses were, and still are today. The myth of the cockatrice within this came from Pliny's Natural History, which is one of the oldest history books known to man from the Roman Empire, which dates all the way back to 77 AD, so is massively older than the translation of the Bible into English. The writer, Pliny the Elder, actually died during the Vesuvius eruption in Pompeii in 79 AD, so you can imagine how old this book was just based off of that. It was a modern-day encyclopedia of everything he had ever researched, including many mythical beasts. The cockatrice, or ecnemion at the time, was described as a draconic rooster within it, but it was said to wait for crocodiles on the Nile to open their jaws to pick its teeth clean, which is what the modern-day Tricolius bird does. Then, to follow this, in 1180, the basilisk came into folklore through Denaturalist Rerum by Alexander Neckham, who described the way they were born in the same way, rooster eggs hatched by snakes with the power to petrify with a glance, linking the two in folklore for the rest of their days. It's still said that the ultimate enemy of both the basilisk and a cockatrice is the rooster calling in the morning, and that they could both petrify the other but not the same species. They also still had the same animal that was completely unaffected by them, the weasel, and in general, they were the complete opposites of each other in terms of their appearance, with the basilisk taking a more serpentine figure with feathers, and the cockatrice having more of a chicken look with some serpent features. These monsters have been merged throughout history into one, and only recently have been separated again and defined by the likes of Dungeons & Dragons, where they have been defined more by their differing animal features, and generally how they kind of look. 
there is also a belief that there is an Egyptian history tidbit in this monster, as the eggs of the ibis bird were very often smashed in fear that the snakes they ate would produce a half-snake, half-bird monster. However, they are also written into history everywhere, including fiction, as they are mentioned in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet and Richard III, and I have sections from both, with the death scene from Romeo and Juliet saying, Hath Romeo slain himself? Say though, but I, and that bare vow I shall I poison more than the death-darting eye of a cockatrice. And for Richard III, where the Duchess of York compares her son to one, which was Richard III, O ill-dispersing wind of misery, O my accursed womb, the bed of death, a cockatrice hast thou hatched to the world, whose unavoided eye is murderous. They are also, of course, mentioned in Harry Potter, but they truly have made their mark within English folklore spaces as one of the medieval greats. In terms of mythical comparisons, of course we do have to think about basilisks, but we've kind of already done the deep dive into them, and if you do want to hear more, I've covered them in another episode, I believe it was episode 14, so it's all the way back, about 100 episodes ago, where I do also mention the cockatrice, because they are so intertwined. Otherwise, we do have to relate them to gorgons due to their stone-turning nature. These monsters from Greek mythology were infamous for their petrifying nature, with Medusa being the most famous of them all. Considering too that Medusa and her sisters are usually portrayed as half-snake, half-woman, you can definitely see the comparison to the basilisk, and in turn the cockatrice. Of course, if you want to hear any more about gorgons, I covered them in my first ever episode over two years ago, so do check that out if you're interested. In real life though, we've not really got many things to compare them to, other than real life chickens and snakes, and some weird egg laying habits. We do know that snakes eat chicken eggs or any other kind of eggs that they come across, so it may have been that someone spotted a snake being defensive over its dinner and thought it was incubating it. I'm not entirely sure, but they are a hard one to compare to something that we know exists, especially a chicken at five foot tall. Unless we're talking about emus, ostriches and cassowaries, none of which live anywhere near England or the rest of Europe for that matter, and do lay considerably larger eggs of course. But now, let's go on to modern media. I have included basilisks in here to fill it out as they are so similar, but here is a whole load of stuff with cockatrice in. For art, have a look at medieval heraldry for this, as you can get some really cool adaptations of this within art, as well as all of the independent things this week. I really recommend looking at the D&D style art for some of these really cool artistic visions of the cockatrice. I know that's where I found mine from this week. I think it was from a Beast card. In movies, we have them in Harry Potter. Of course, all of them have some mention of the basilisk in. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and Basilisk the Serpent King. For TV, we have Berserk, Delicious in Dungeon, One Piece, Senseiya, Merlin, Super Sentai, The Witcher, The Epic Tales of Captain Underpants, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, The Owl House, Little Witch Academia, and Wishfart. In video games, we have ones such as Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, 
Dragon's Dogma, World of Warcraft, Harry Potter, Boke Tie, The Sun is in Your Hand, Little Witch Academia, Chamber of Time, RuneScape, NetHack, Total War Warhammer, Digimon, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, Terraria, Dissajaya, Magic and Mayhem, Metal Gear Solid, Peace Walker, Shin Megami Tensei, The Witcher, Mega Man Zero, For the King, God of War, Chains of Olympus, Magic Shop, Final Fantasy 8, 10 and 15, Age of Wonders, Balsera Brothers, Dark Souls, EverQuest 2, Elden Ring, Ark Survival Evolved, and Dragon City. My book recommendation this week is for fantastic creatures in mythology and folklore, from medieval times to the present day by Juliet Wood, for a really great insight into all the medieval beasts in Britain and generally around the world, and how they were so important within that time of culture and society. But now it's time for Do I think they existed? Do I think there are man-sized dragon-slash-snake chickens roaming the earth? It's got to be a no from me. Not to mention the petrification. Whilst the idea is scary, it's not something we have ever found within human mythology. We have never seen any kind of turning-to-stone effect other than people in Pompeii, who are rained on by volcanic ash, or people who are generally buried in concrete. Although statues can look very realistic, I don't think we can blame them for statues in gardens, which does make me a little bit sad, but it's also super understandable, right? I do love medieval monsters though, and especially ones that come from England, which are kind of lost to the ether a little bit, and it really does make me happy to bring them back into the spotlight a little, and I really love looking at monsters from D&D too, and there's always a great amount of information and art surrounding them too. But do I think they existed? Probably not. I think it was a case of misidentification with a snake wrapped around a chicken egg and someone thought it would become something worse than it was. But it seemed to have survived, so we'll, we'll run with it. But what do you think? Did the cockatrice petrify cavegoers of England? Let me know on Twitter. I would love to know what you think. An excellent monster this week. <laughs> See what I did there? It's one that has been a little bit lost to folklore, but one that I do try and include, especially when talking about medieval folklore, as it truly is one of the greats, and definitely one of the strangest. Next week though, we are getting back out into the water, and heading out to the Seven Seas for a legendary sea monster, but one that you might not know the name of, but you would have definitely seen it on pirate maps of your childhoods, we are going fishing for Sisyphus next Thursday, so I hope you're bringing your biggest net and bait. Just a quick note to say that the week after next is my yearly September two-week break, so I'll be gone from the 21st of September all the way up until the 12th of October for a well-deserved hiatus. But of course, we'll be back full-time until December at that point, so it's only a short break, I will be back, and I will warn you next week too. For now though, thank you so much for listening, it's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating on the service you are listening on. I've got the Twitter for any questions or suggestions on what monsters to cover next, and I'd really love to hear from you. The social media handles for TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and threads are Myth Monsters Podcast. 
and the Twitter is MythMonstersPod. But all of our content can always be found at mythmonsters.co.uk and you can find us on Good Pods, Buy Me A Coffee and Patreon if you want to help me fund the podcast too. Come join the fun though, share this with your pals, they might love me as much as you do. But for now, stay spooky. And I'll see you later, babes. <laughs>